This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. On pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin and Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. And we are reviewing industrial society and its future. This paper written in 1995. And it explains a lot in regards to what is going on right now, today, in the present. And this will continue to be relevant going into the future. I try to keep most of my shows evergreen so you can go back and listen to them at any time you want. Let's go uh, into paragraph 85. It says, in this section, we have explained how many people in modern society do satisfy their need for the power process to a greater or lesser extent. But we think that for the majority of people, the need for the power process is not fully satisfied. In the first place, those who have an insatiable drive for status or who get firmly hooked on a surrogate activity or who identify strongly enough with a movement or organization to satisfy their need for power in that way are exceptional personalities. Others are not fully satisfied with surrogate activities or by identification with an organization. In the second place, too much control is imposed by the system through explicit regulation or through socialization, which results in a deficiency of autonomy and in frustration due to the impossibility of attaining certain goals and the necessity of restraining too many impulses. So what the author is talking about there, folks, uh, look at this. It says, in the second place, too much control is imposed by the system through explicit regulation or through socialization. And really what he's talking about is, is what we've been discussing here, okay? The regulation, the policies, the rules, the laws, all this tyranny really keep us strapped down to this system, okay? And then through the socialization, which is really the social engineering, as we've talked about many times, technocracy, in part, is the science of social engineering. So they are engineering you into this society, this culture of technocracy. As I've explained several times, technocracy is a culture, and it's already here. And as he says, as the author says, this results in deficiency of autonomy, meaning that you aren't really going out and making your own choices, you are doing things in order to continue to conform to the system, which is why I said if, if you don't want to live within the system, you need to cut your leash. All right, You need to unleash yourself from the system and stop trying to live within the boundaries, the guidelines, the rules of this system. 
Maybe you need to look in the mirror and say to yourself, is, is this really the system that I want to live in? Is this really what I want to do? I mean, where did this idea get installed in my head? That I have to work, save money for my kids' college education, and send them off to college and then continue to work, pay off my house, sell my house, retire to Disney World and play golf. I mean, where, where did that all come from? Why, why were so many people chasing that same goal? Because it was implanted in your head. You were socially engineered into wanting those things. I mean, maybe you really do. Maybe, maybe that is your goal. If that is, then stick with it. If it's not and you feel something is wrong, figure out why and start to figure out how the hell you're going to get yourself out of this system. Paragraph 86, but even if most people in industrial technological society were well satisfied, we, and this is FC, we'll get into this later, we would still be opposed to that form of society. Because, among other reasons, we consider it demeaning to fulfill one's need for the power process through surrogate activities or through identification with an organization rather than through pursuit of real goals. Now, this is the author speaking here about the industrial technological society, which is technocracy. All right, that's just synonymous with technocracy. And, and he's talking about we, his organization, is opposed to this form of society and he's saying because they find it to be demeaning uh, that one needs to fulfill their power process through these surrogate activities or through identification with a sports team all right now i think it's important that we try to educate people on this on the psychology of why we are where we are but I don't believe that it is our right to actually drag them out of the system. Again, if they find themselves okay with the system, then that's the way it's going to be. We have to move ourselves out of the system. And, and I know it's difficult because I've gone through this, uh, especially over the last uh, year as I've thought through this how I'm going to move myself out of the system. And we're so locked into this idea that we have to continue to work hard. We have to spend more hours. We have to work two jobs. We have to have a side hustle in order to keep getting cash uh, and keep getting cash and more cash and more cash. But what are we doing with that cash? What, what's the purpose of having the cash? For me, if I can have enough cash to own this piece of land outright, then the majority of my time is going to go into farming that land and producing my food and doing things to upkeep with the property. I don't need as much cash anymore. I don't need to build a retirement portfolio worth $49 million. Who even knows if that's going to be there when we get there with central bank digital currency coming, their ability to stop you from building wealth. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Maybe with inflation, they just basically destroy all of the savings that you work so hard to get now once you have the land and once you have enough revenue coming in that you can invest the money back into the land you know to grow your vegetables to uh you know, breed cattle whatever it may be you need less cash so are your hours more valuable being spent to earn cash uh, which you would use to buy materialistic things, or your hours better off spent tending your land. I, it just depends on the way you want to live. I'm just offering up some goals, some solutions of mine, and if you really want to escape 
this technocratic system or this industrial technological society, as the author puts it, there's really only so many ways you can go about doing it. All right, this next section is the motives of scientists. This is going to be very important. Paragraph 87, science and technology provide the most important examples of surrogate activities. Some scientists claim that they are motivated by curiosity or by a desire to benefit humanity. Have we not heard this over and over as we have been reviewing the modern technocrats and the modern-day transhumanists? It's all to benefit humanity, right? All to benefit humanity. This is why they run Frankenstein experiments. They hack DNA. They do gene splicing. They put computer chips inside people's heads. All to benefit humanity. If not, it's about curiosity. Well, I'd like to know what would happen if we jammed an electrode inside someone's brain. Really? Why the hell are you doing that? Well, I'm curious. (laughs) I mean, think about it, folks goes on to say but it is easy to see that neither of these can be the principal motive of most scientists as for curiosity that notion is simply absurd most scientists work on highly specialized problems that are not the object of any normal curiosity for example is an astronomer a mathematician or an entomologist curious about the properties of isopropyl thiamylomethylene i can't even pronounce that ladies and gentlemen of course not only a chemist is curious about such a thing and he is curious about it only because chemistry is his surrogate activity is the chemist curious about the appropriate classification of a new species of beetle no The question is of interest only to entomologist, and he is interested in it only because entomology is his surrogate activity. If the chemist and the entomologist had to exert themselves seriously to obtain the physical necessities, meaning if they had to go out and hunt an elk and bring it home to their wife and children, and if that effort exercised their abilities in an interesting way, but in some non-scientific pursuit, then they wouldn't give a damn about isopropylothamethylene, I can't even pronounce it, folks, or the classification of beetles. Suppose that lack of funds or postgraduate education had led the chemist to become an insurance broker instead of a chemist. In that case, he would have been very interested in insurance matters, but would have cared nothing about isopropylothamethylene. I can't even pronounce it again. In any case, it is not normal. To put into the satisfaction of mere curiosity the amount of time and effort that scientists put into their work. The curiosity explanation for the scientist motive just doesn't stand up. Now, we're, we're going to continue to go through this, but I, I want to point this out. I've thought about this stuff long and hard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you took someone like, let, let's just take one of the modern day puppet uh marvel supervillains you know bill gates well if bill gates was stuck living out on a teepee in the middle of uh, the woods somewhere 
and he had to go out and hunt and bring food back to his ex-wife, Melinda. Uh, he would not have orchestrated a COVID land, the high school theater production, nor would he be meddling in the affairs of African health, nor would he be funding MRNA research or palling around with Jeffrey Epstein or doing any of these things were to believe that he is actually in control of. And that's all questionable he's really just a puppet in my eyes no he'd be worried about getting eaten by a bear and a beta male like bill gates would probably have been eaten by a bear and then we wouldn't have all the problems that we have today so i've thought about this in great detail i've dreamt about this stuff all right sometimes i ask myself are the scientists and the engineers really evil or do they really believe that they are helping humanity or they're really driven by the illusion of curiosity and therefore this is why they have built this technocracy we live in this is why they continue to work on frankenstein transhumanist experiments you know, and then we ended up in this because we moved ourselves so far away from what we're wired to actually do, to actually achieving the, the goals that you need to be to actually fulfill the true power process. I'm not sure. Uh, it's one of those questions where you look off into the sky and you ask yourself how far the universe goes and you can sit there and just keep staring and you could never come up with an answer. Well, this is a similar type of question. You know, is this being orchestrated on purpose or is a lot of this driven by the lack of the fulfillment of the true power process? I'll let you think on that, folks. Stare off into space and think about that question. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and we are reviewing Industrial Society and its future, a paper written in 1995. Folks, I ask myself this question sometimes. Am I sitting here doing this show because I am trying to fulfill the uh, power process that I need. So getting a show done, getting it edited, putting it up makes me fulfill that power process. No, I'm actually doing the show because I'm building this basis for homeschool teaching for my son, uh, Willie G. I don't think I would have done the show if my wife wasn't pregnant. I probably would not have taken Mike Moore up on the offer because I just was not in the mood to sit in front of a mic and talk about all these things I've read over the years and try to make sense of them all. But I'm trying to build a homeschool uh, course for Willie G. At the same time, 
I'm trying to uh, monetize this and turn it into money. And I've, as I said, I, I've worked in the creative field for you know 20 years. I've worked for myself. And so if you end up with a fairly successful podcast without selling out, which is very difficult to do, if you're not being funded by a, a sugar daddy or fake uh, companies with fake promo codes, it's very difficult to accomplish. But if you do, like Mike Moore uh, cracked the code for quite a while. If you figure it out, you can make... A decent amount of money fairly quickly, uh, more than you can selling your hours for dollars. All right, then I can get that piece of land faster. And then I can actually go out and live in nature on a piece of land that I'm not squatting on, but I actually own. And then I'll be able to spend my days fulfilling the real power process with my son, Willie G, in his formative years. That, that's what I'm really working towards. That's my goal. I mean, I really have this well thought out. I've looked at all different angles of how to get there as quickly as possible. Now, if I started on this venture 20 years ago, you know, in my early 20s, I would have been there a lot quicker. But I wasn't aware of all this. I hadn't made those decisions. Uh, in my last marriage where I raised two stepkids, that wasn't on the table. All right, I, I had a, uh, my ex-wife was not really into that type of thing. In fact, uh, she was getting quite frustrated with me even continuing to research this stuff, which is part of what led to the uh, divorce, folks, to be honest with you. But uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to set up the ability for me to raise my son in an environment where he could fulfill the power process in a real way and straddle the line between the matrix and the natural world. All right. Because I don't want to just raise him as a full Amish and then he's not prepared to live inside the system if he's forced to or he chooses to. I really want to raise him like Neo from the Matrix, where he can survive outside of the Matrix in the natural world, even if these guys destroy it, and then he can step into the Matrix and survive inside that system. But almost like James Bond, all right, he's got to be a special uh, agent here. He's got to have the ability to blend in and the ability to protect himself, to understand the system enough that he's able to uh, at least appear that he's complying if that's the type of situation, uh, if he so chooses uh, to live that way. Again, I said he may turn 14, 15, 16. He wants to put a brain chip in his head. You know, I can't stop him. He is an individual as well. He has free will that he can exercise. But I've thought about it. So. I'm not just sitting here wasting time with a surrogate activity. And at the same time, I think it is my duty uh, not to help humanity. I mean, I am on the side of humanity, but I figured if I'm going to record this, I might as well share it with other folks, people that are trying to figure out how to do a similar thing as I am. All right, let's continue. Paragraph 88, the benefit of humanity explanation. There we go, folks. The author's about to criticize me. The benefit of humanity explanation doesn't work any better. Some scientific work has no conceivable relation to the welfare of the human race. Most of archaeology or comparative linguistics, for example. Some other areas of science present obviously dangerous possibilities, yet scientists in these areas are just as enthusiastic about their work as those who develop vaccines or study air pollution. 
Consider the case of Dr. Edward Teller, who had an obvious emotional involvement in promoting nuclear power plants. Did this involvement stem from a desire to benefit humanity? If so, then why didn't Dr. Teller get emotional about other humanitarian causes? If he was such a humanitarian, then why did he help to develop the H-bomb? As with many other scientific achievements, it is very much open to question whether nuclear power plants actually do benefit humanity. Does the cheaper electricity outweigh the accumulating waste and the risk of accidents? Dr. Teller saw only one side of the question. Clearly, his emotional involvement with nuclear power arose not from a desire to benefit humanity, but from a personal fulfillment he got from his work and from seeing it put to practical use. And, and you can look at that through the lens of any of these scientists these Frankenstein doctors that we've reviewed right here on the Dust and Gold Standard, the military doctors running the cyborg soldier programs, uh, folks like Dr. James Giordano or Dr. Charles Morgan that come out of the CIA, come out of the government, and they're running these experiments. People that are doing DNA splicing, DNA hacking, genetically modifying humans, Elon Musk working to put brain chips inside people's heads. I mean, are they really doing this to benefit humanity? You know, I think those folks are driven by their desire to actually hack humanity all right and so this author is writing about this from the perspective or at least the um sort of an understanding he's looking at it from the point that these people are not necessarily corrupt they don't have sort of dark motives they're just driven by this uh, psychology that he is breaking this down into but I think when you look at the folks we've uncovered here on the show, some of them are driven by uh, their need and desire to actually hack humanity. And that may come from uh, lack of power process. right? So if they were out there actually hunting and gathering and protecting their family, they may not have the actual desire to go and hack and destroy humanity and eventually engineer it out of existence. Paragraph 89 The same is true of scientists generally. With possible rare exceptions, their motive is neither curiosity nor a desire to benefit humanity, but the need to go through the power process. There we go. To have a goal, a scientific problem to solve, to make an effort, research, and to attain the goal, solution of the problem. Science is a surrogate activity because scientists work mainly for the fulfillment they get out of the work itself. All right. And that would make sense, right? So if they have a goal, which is a scientific problem to solve, we want to make a human be able to see like a hawk, right? And then they have to put in the effort, which is the research. How are we going to do it? How are we going to implant hawk eyes in this human? And then they want to attain the goal, which is the solution to the problem. They actually want to be able to do it and make it work. They want to see it come to light. Uh, Paragraph 90, of course it's not that simple. Other motives do play a role for many scientists. Money and status, for example. Some scientists may be persons of the type who have an insatiable drive for status. That would be like Dr. Anthony Fauci. And this may provide much of the motivation for their work. Uh, His would be status and money. 
Uh, plus, he's also most likely evil. No doubt the majority of scientists, like the majority of the general population, are more or less susceptible to advertising and marketing techniques and need money to satisfy their craving for goods and services. Thus, science is not a pure surrogate activity, but it is in large part a surrogate activity. Paragraph 91, also science and technology constitute a power mass movement, and many scientists gratify their need for power through identification with this mass movement. 92, thus science marches on blindly without regard to the real welfare of the human race or to any other standard, obedient only to the psychological needs of the scientists and of the government of uh, officials and corporation executives who provide the funds for the research. See, I brought this up on the show before, right? So you have these scientists and these crazy engineers, and they're funded by the state. You know, if they're working out of a university, they're funded through government contracts, as we can see with many of the Frankenstein doctors, right? If they're working inside uh, corporations or with companies that are funded by people like Peter Thiel, all of these technocratic transhumanists, right? So the scientists are working for them in order to get the money. But they are driven by finding a problem and creating a solution. And as I said, if you let the scientists and engineers run wild, it will lead to the eventual destruction of humanity because they are never happy. There is always another problem. The scientists themselves actually work within their own problem-reaction-solution loop. They have a problem. They provoke a reaction from themselves, and then they develop a solution that creates more problems. They are in a problem-reaction-solution loop. It never ends, folks. Uh, We're going to enter a new section here called The Nature of Freedom. Paragraph 93, we are going to argue that industrial technological society, a.k.a. technocracy, cannot be reformed in such a way as to prevent it from progressively narrowing the sphere of human freedom. But because freedom is a word that can be interpreted in many ways, we must first make clear what kind of freedom we are concerned with. And this is important, and you may not agree with the author, but I've tried to bring this up on the show in the past. You have to start to define these terms you use. Uh, Legal Man at the Quash, the podcast, the Quash, he talks about a lot of this stuff as Barnum statements, like saying, uh, restore the republic or restore America. What does that really mean? You have to define it. Donald Trump said, make America great again. We are going to make America great and stuff and things and everything again. Believe me, we're going to do it. What does make America great again mean? I've had uh, lengthy conversations with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays. And as aware of all this stuff that she is, uh, she has a vision in her head of what most people perceive Make America Great Again as. But it was never defined. So it's this illusion, uh, a vision in your head your idea of what utopia is. You have to start to define these things. So when we talk about freedom, or we talk about liberty, what does that really mean? Are we talking about freedom in the sense of the country, the people as a collective, you, you and your family, you, your family, your friends? Do you want to take your idea of freedom and try to force that onto everyone else? Uh, Is freedom 
for someone who identifies, and I don't buy into any of this, folks, but identifies as transgender, the ability to take hormones and uh, mutilate their genitals through plastic surgery. Is that freedom to them? And if I don't allow them to do that, then am I taking away their freedom? This is a very nuanced discussion. And to be honest, there's really no right answers at this point. But these are things I like to think about. So when I talk about wanting freedom, what is true freedom? What does freedom mean to you? What is it that you're trying to achieve? Is freedom being free of the government, of the state? Well, if you're 65 and above and you're getting a social security check from the government, are you willing to truly free yourself from the government? Do you want the federal government to shut down tomorrow? Are you willing to give up the distribution of that social security check? You'd look at it as uh, money coming back to you for money that you were forced to pay into the system for your entire working life. Okay, but true freedom to me is no government at all. I myself personally, and I've thought long and hard about this, I would be willing to give up everything. First off, I don't take anything from the government. The government only takes from me on uh, April 15th or forces me to get licenses and forces me to to go through uh, courses and classes for certain things I want to do that I don't think I need to do. I can learn it for free on YouTube. But if you took away the government, that would also mean there would be no roads being built, not in the current sense. All right, the internet would be gone. That's all run by the government. So if you took away the government, are you willing to live without all the things connected to the government? Because pretty much everything in your life right now is in a way controlled by, manipulated by uh, the government. And so freedom to me is no government. Am I willing to take the risk in my life to lose everything that the government has a hold of because it is this technocracy, this matrix that's all around us. Would I be willing to give all of that up for what I believe is actually true freedom? I'd be willing to roll the dice. I don't know about you, but I'd think about that over this short commercial break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. 